generally, I internalize a lot, and you know, there's various reasons for that, but which is not good, by the way. If you're someone that internalizes your feelings and you keep it in, that's, that's very, very dangerous. So please get accustomed to talking, uh, praying more. Um, don't internalize your, your problems. It actually can bring on disease. Okay, just a side note. But um, with this being said, everything was going fast. Um, like Dwayne said, he was happy speaking at certain places and, you know, going to work. I was at home with the children. You know, I was pregnant for four years straight. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> like it's his fault. I know it's us, so. But I'm happy, you know. <laughs> Jared, don't look at me like that. <laughs> I'm very, very happy. I mean, I don't recommend doing that. Your body needs at least 18 months to uh, recover from just one pregnancy. So, you know, um, we didn't plan it this way. It just, it just happened. So, um, had to have them all at once, I guess. So, um, but you can imagine, um, just give you an idea. Uh, I had Jared, who was, he was two. Right, he was two, then Kayla was one. Caleb was like six months and I was pregnant with Jada all at the same time. That is, if you think about that, that's absolutely crazy. That's, you know, my mother got me a stroller with three seats and back in my day, that wasn't common to see. I don't even know how she found it. And, you know, so when I remember I was taking a walk with them um, you know, I'm pregnant with Jada, and I'm carrying, I'm pushing the three kids, and I'm just walking, like, you know, and all this stuff, and this lady was on the phone, and she was sitting um, on her porch, and as I was walking, she was like, I feel so sorry for you, oh my, how do you do, oh my, and then she just made a big deal about it, and, I, and to me, I was just like, okay, you know, totally embarrassed, I never went out after that, because I was just like, oh no, this is embarrassing, this whatever, and it's just, there was so many things going on in the church. You know, you're talking about the church family, the sister that came up. Uh, I understand, you know, sometimes, I don't think the, they meant anything, but sometimes you say things to people like, again? Another baby again? Oh, you should get a TV in your room. Or, wow, you're getting fat, you know? It's, <laughs> I was like, are you serious? But anyway, so many things, but... Fast forward, um, we're in the country. Um, we moved to Georgia, we're in the country. Um, I, was, I got accepted into the nursing school. I worked really hard and I had to let my spot go because I believed that God was calling us to do this, to go into the country and I, I was convicted about um, being home with my children. So we went to the country in Georgia and you know we're just living life and then you know the meetings and all these things are happening, and you know, it's impressive. Back then, it was like, you know, he's my husband, you know? <laughs> I was so proud of, at the time, and my mind was just, wow, you know, God is using my husband in such a mighty way, and personally, I was blessed, too. You know, he's my husband, but I was learning just like everybody else. You know, if you ever see me sit at the meetings, I'm always taking notes. You know, I'm taking pictures of the same PowerPoints you all are taking because, you know, I'm taking it in. I'm a student also. So, um, but nevertheless, you know, he starts getting the calls 
and he's getting the calls, and I'm like, wow, the Lord is using Dwayne. This is great, you know, and, you know, as, a, as his wife, I wanted to encourage that. I wanted to be that help me and just, you know, encourage my husband along in the Lord. So I cooperated, and I was okay with that, not knowing that it was going to kind of mushroom into this worldwide ministry. I had no idea. Like he said, he had no idea. We didn't plan it. It just kind of happened. So, but, you know, as we started getting calls, I was like, uh, you know, it got to the point where he had to, you know, quit his job because this is what he really wanted to do. And I was okay with that because one thing I knew, I was like, he, he's called. This is his work. Yeah. And, you know, I said, you know, as um, that brother with the singing ministry, Christian Bradal, he says, if it's God's will, it's his bill. I love that. Because I said, Lord, you called them, so you got us covered. You see, you've got these four kids here. And, you know, I know God called us to homeschool. And so, Lord, you have to provide the way because, you know, we put ourselves in a position where we were willing to do everything he's told us to do. Um, one thing we, I was telling a couple we were sitting with, today is that um, my husband and I never, ever, ever disagreed on anything spiritual, ever. Like, everything spiritual, we were, like, spot on, like, yes, if this is what God says, we're going to do it. And if I had issues with it or struggles, that was just my struggle. But one thing I knew is, like, God called us to do this, and this is what it is, and don't worry about, you know, the mortgage, and God's going to take care of it. So it was not a problem for me when he quit his job. I was like, it's about time. You know, let's do this. You know, that's my mind. I'm like, let's, but I had no idea what I was saying yes to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things, it was hard for me because when we got married, we were very, very broke. Mm -hmm. And I'm the youngest of eight. When I came into the picture, my father went through a lot of struggles financially to help take care of our home. But when I came in, that's when some prosperity started to come in financially. And, you know, Dad, I I saw it in my father. He really wanted to take care of his family. And that was something that my dad instilled deeply in my mind, was you take care of your family. Part of being a man of a house is you take care of your family. So, you know, when we got married, there was a lot we did not know. We, We didn't go through Adventist home. We didn't go through child guidance. We didn't go through these books not because we didn't want to, They were not highlighted. They were not brought before us, and we didn't know what to look for. So, you know, now that we we came in broken, and I remember, I remember the days of buying groceries and, you know, always robbing Peter to pay Paul. It's, It's just constantly taking from one account, having to stand at a grocery line, and you swipe your card, and it says insufficient funds, and everybody's looking at you like, Come on, man, you're holding up the line. And, and now I got to call the bank thinking I'm right to say, hey, I know there's money in the account. And then they're like, no, do you remember when you spent this? Do you remember when you spent this? Do you remember? And I, I have to humbly take stuff off and backtrack, <coughs> really pathetic stuff. And this is what we had to go through. So when we started to work and I began to understand biblical principles and really start uh, developing finances right and you know, budgeting and all these things, we really worked hard. I mean, my wife said, I'm going to stay home with the children. And I said, okay, if you're going to do that, then I said, I pledge by the grace of God, I will make sure you never lack for anything. You know, you making this sacrifice as the man of the household, as the priest of my home, 
it is my responsibility to make sure that I can do all that I can to help take good care of you and the children. So when we finally worked and I began to get a little bit more wisdom, et cetera, and I watched the, 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 the 30,000 a year turn into 50 and the 50 to 80 and the 80 to, you know, we started jumping higher and higher and higher into the six figures. It was, it was a blessing because now I could do the things that needed to be done in our household and then some. And I remember when God was calling to go into full-time ministry, you know, it was a serious struggle. It was a very serious struggle because you finally got to a place where you can, I would dare to say, easily take care of your home. I loved blessing ministries. I've always had this joy from as soon as we started to make good money that it would be a privilege to write a check and and give it to this ministry or that ministry. This other. So I'm feeling like, Lord, we're already doing enough. We're already we're supporting ministries. We're helping people. That are, why are you calling me away from my job? And I'm going to end up. And I told my wife, I said, honey, look, at this point, we have a built log home. We built a log home in the country. Um, you know, we're, we're living a very good, comfortable life. And I said, you do understand, if I go into full-time ministry, we're, we're going to be broke like pretty much everybody else around us that's in full-time ministry. Are you prepared to lose? And that's what I asked her. And she looked me in the eye. And this was a very pivotal point. I remember right in the kitchen of 800 Tamarack Road. And she looked me in the eye. She says, do you believe that God has called you to do what you're doing? Amen. And I said, I do. Then she said, then do what God says. And that was like a major weight off my back. Because a man does not want to fail his family. I'm very serious about that. A man does not want to fail his family. And I have to say it, and you know, I don't mean anything by it, but maybe you know, there, are those, there are some who can relate to what I'm going to say and some who can't. A black man does not want to fail his family. There, there, there's things that happens in the urban black community that failure is sometimes our middle and our last name. And so I wanted to break that mold. I wanted to be able to say, no, there is a black family that can do well in the name of Jesus, take care of their home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all of this was really in my head when I had to contemplate walking away from this lifestyle, walking away from a secure income and entering into a field where now I'm living by Matthew chapter 20 and verse 4, you know, whatsoever right, whatsoever is right. My salary went from blank six figures to whatsoever is right. And that takes faith. You got to trust God to do that. And that was a level of trust that was not properly cultivated. So, um, you know, I say that to say it was not easy to do that. You know, my wife is almost, as she's telling it, it almost comes across like we were just kind of like, yep, yep, okay, all right, no problem. But there, there was... That was some massive struggle. I ran for two years. I knew God was calling me away from the job for two years. And I just was Jonah. I mean, I was just like in the, the belly of the whale getting ready to be digested. And it was just like, man, how do you? And I had to contemplate. So it was a very big step. And I remember walking away from my job with my box, with my stuff. And I remember I looked up in the sky and I said, I'm yours now. And that's exactly what I said to God. I said, I'm yours now. And from that point forward, we started to go forward. I forgot that part. <laughs> so, sorry. Teamwork. <laughs> so, um, 
with that being said, um, we're being propelled into ministry, and um, you know, Dwayne accepted the call and he stepped out on faith, and we were okay with that. Like I said, not realizing really what this was going to mean. Yes, he did share with me um, finances may be tight because yes, we were surrounded by a lot of people who we we did not see a good picture, but I still felt it was different with him. It was something different with him, and that's why I said I'm not worried about that. Um, so we saw some, some bad examples of uh, self-supporting ministries, and it, it wasn't good. So I understood why he was taking his time, because it, it wasn't good. So um, he, I remember his first trip, his first major long trip was Australia. And he went to Australia by himself. Uh, we ended up going in the second trip, but the first trip, he went by himself, and you were gone for like three weeks. And I've never been apart from Dwayne for that long, ever. And so <clears throat> when he went, there was a couple of times he went for a weekend here, there. And I was like, okay, you know, but when he went for three weeks, when he came back, I was like, oh no. That was too long. <laughs> I was just not used to it. And then I started thinking, oh, come on, you know, help me, you know, just there's certain things, sacrifice and things like that. But um, it impacted the family in a way because we're just so close. Um, and I started to notice a change in my son, Jared, like when he would just kind of act out certain times when he was smaller and I couldn't pinpoint why. You know, everything I did was the same. And then over time, I noticed when his dad wasn't around, he just, it, it wasn't, you know, he would just be moody. I don't know what, the, what it was, but, um, so we just talked about it. It's like, hey, if there's a way the family can go, we prayed about it. And then I think a couple of years later, we were asked to go to uh, Australia again. And we all went as a family and we stayed for a month. And that was amazing. Um, I mean, it was, it was a wonderful opportunity. Bought our homeschooling books, and we did homeschooling in the building when Dwayne was doing certain classes, and then we would participate in certain classes. So we, you know, I was really trying to make it work. But um, then we came home, and then it's like, you know, more meetings. It's like, okay, that's cool. We get to travel. California, we came to California. We went to Bahamas. We went to Bermuda five times. They called us back. I mean, the passport books are filled. It was just, I said, guys, do you see how, I mean, we don't even have to pay for any of this. Look how God's just letting you see around the world and, and just, this is, this is amazing. What a privilege, right? My mind still can't grasp all that. <laughs> I mean, it's just, Westland, Elder and I were in Bulgaria together. And I remember, Elder, remember this. You know, we're walking down the streets of Bulgaria, and at some point, I'm just walking down these streets, and I, I just kind of yelled out, what am I doing here? You know, it's just, because in my mind, I'm just like, how did I get here? You know, you just have this reflection moment. I'm from Hollis, Queens, New York. I don't have a diploma of any kind. I have the worst kind of high school diploma. I have a GED. I mean, that's the worst of the worst of it, right? And it's like, this is all I got. 
what am I doing in Bulgaria? And it, it, it's like that stuff messes with your head because you, you, you're trying to understand how did this happen? I don't understand how this happened. So my wife, again, you know, casually, <laughs> Bermuda, or this, this, this. And I'm, I'm marveling because I'm like, how did we get here? And then Peter was one of the first guys to break the mold. I felt a sense of a need. I said, nah, I got to be home with my family because the traveling started getting kind of crazy. We went to nine countries in one year. Mm -hmm. One time. That was just out of control. Okay? So I remember that I told my wife, I said, listen, it is evident I need to be home more. Mm -hmm. You know? So that was around the time we got a call to come to California. And I agreed to come. But once we made the covenant, listen, we are a big family, and we understand ministries that, you know, a lot of times, as stated earlier, you know, finances are not as available. So we knew, hey, if anything, we'll, we'll, we'll just travel less, um, you know, it'll be less income or whatever, no problem. But we got to be together as a family, because I started seeing the impact of husband and father not being around. And from that, that is when I told Peter, I called him, I said, Peter... Listen, man, I really appreciate the invite. I know you guys already kind of locked me in your schedule, but I cannot go because I, didn't, I, I don't want to leave my family. And then that's when, next thing you know, I get a call back, and it says, hey, we got things arranged in such a way that you and your family can come. I didn't ask for that. I just was ready to take the loss. Like, okay, we just, there's a certain place we just won't go. And then it was weird. It was very strange. People started calling from different places, even sometimes different countries, and they would say, bring your family. I'm like, you understand how large our family is? You understand we're six people. And and bring your family. And so we, again, we're trying to wrap our heads around this, that people are actually paying for our ticket. They would, there was always the silent donors, these people that didn't want to know, want to be known. And they would say, we, we'll pay for the children, you know, whatever. And we're traveling. And so, again, we're watching all of this stuff happen. And the ministry is growing. And there's a massive fight, in all honesty. You know, this is, this is you know, we're being very real with you all. This is a serious fight at a certain point in the growth of ministry to stay humble because there's so much favor that's coming your way. And I don't care anybody says, any ministry where you just constantly see doors opening and, and things being provided, etc., there's going to at least be a temptation to think a little bit more of yourself than you should and to begin to esteem yourself in a way that you should not esteem yourself. And so there was a fight and a battle of trying to remain humble and to remain low and to understand this is a privilege this is a true privilege. And there were some things that started to happen. So we'll continue. Okay, I'm going to get it right this time. <laughs> getting it right. You know, you're getting it right. It's just, you know, I'm giving these little details sometimes. That's why we're both here. That's right. Yeah. So that's what led me to read uh, The Minister's Wife. When I saw, um, there was a woman. I remember she was, I forgot her name. The, the place he went to with Narlin. Romania, and she was the owner of a sanitarium there. And when she called me, she was like, 
uh, I think you, he, Dwayne went with another gentleman to Romania, and then the following year, she was like, oh, Sister Lemon. Yeah, I was actually here. Yes, I think it was at an army. And I was upstairs in the lobby, and I had a table, and she came, and she said, um, I would like to propose for you and your husband to come back to Romania. We were, we were so blessed by your husband's ministry, and we would like to hear from you. And we will make sure you have a nice place, and we'll give you massage, and we'll, we'll do this, and you will have nice food. And I actually was taken back by that. I'm like, you know, that's nice, but in my mind, I'm just like, do they think that's what they have to do to get me to come? You know, I, that's, how I, that's how I processed it when I was here, when she said that. And I was like, I don't want to give people that impression that they have to, you know, coerce me to come. And Sister Lemon, will we have fresh towels? Or I'm like, I don't even have those fluffy towels. I was like, I just got regular towels. So, but, I mean, if you present it, you know, it's like, who wouldn't want to? But I, I don't want you to think that's a criteria. So I said, I need, to, I need to understand what a minister's, so I read the book, Gospel Workers, Minister's Wife, and I'm reading, and I'm like, whoa, it's a lot. I said, I'm pretty much like side by side working with him in line, so we're just counseling and work, and we're just unified in the same purpose, and it's like I'm, I'm supporting my husband in this work, and it's sacrificial, and you know, this is not for me to be waited on or all these things, and I said, okay, uh, I still have my guys here, and I was like, um, there's a lot of things that I know now that I didn't know back then, and so I was trying to manage it all, because like my husband said, nine countries in a year. We pretty much live out of our suitcases. That's nine countries. That's not, that doesn't include the other places in the states that we went to. So when we uh, would come home, I would tell the guy, my children, don't even take your stuff out the suitcase. Leave it right in the living room, put it in the machine, and wash it and put it right back because after Sabbath, we're gonna be on another plane to California or here or there, or we get the cargo on the car and we travel. And in my mind, I'm like, we're doing the work. We're, we're working for the Lord. We're a family ministry. And you know, I was okay with that, pretty much. I said, Lord, what a privilege. I shouldn't complain. I got this sister that went to a church that I went to, and she would be home with her daughter. She would resent the fact that she's home. And she was like, look at you. You're out there with your kids, and you're ministering. I'm just home. And I was like, you want to switch? You know? <laughs> and then I felt convicted. I was like, I'm not trying to give off that impression, but something wasn't right. But I just couldn't pinpoint it at the time. And so, you know, we're traveling, we're traveling. Um, and you know things come to a head after a while if these things aren't checked or aren't addressed. And so for me, um, and you can interject whenever you'd like, but as time went on, years later, we were doing this every year, every year, every year. And I got to a place where I went to my husband, I said, I can't do this anymore, hon. This is too much, you know? I, I don't know anyone that does what we do. And I don't mean in terms of the speaking and the impact. I'm talking about traveling with a family and possibly like every Sabbath you're at a different church. I was like, I, I don't know 
who does that because you're in t different time zones and um, you know if you're staying here at SWIC and the meetings are late that's you know you have a special event but you go home right and then you kind of rest for the week and you don't this is not a normal common thing this is kind of once a year maybe twice a year different events but for us you know we would go to an event and you know meetings counseling staying up late and then the following week we're at another event and it's the same thing and we'd be home for a week maybe two which would be very rare and then you're back on the road and again people like sister lemon how do you do it you, you know it's like wow you know can can we counsel can i can i come to your house and watch you and i was like observe what you do and and i'm just like wow people are really you know okay so Again, I internalize things, and I'm just like, you know, I actually need prayer. You know, I, I didn't feel, it was hard for me to say that because there was just an assumption that I just had it all together. And so, this is not what I wanted. I mean, if you come to me and you say that, I'm not going to say, well, actually, you know, I'm messing up in certain places and I need, it, it's like, it's kind of hard, you know, random people come to you and they say that, you don't want to open your business up, you just kind of say, okay, well, praise the Lord. Yeah, praise for me, please. You know? Yeah, mm -hmm. and, you know, the point is is that people put us on a very high pedestal. Not here. They don't do that here. No, I'm not talking about here. I just said people. <laughs> <laughs> and what was often a struggle for individuals was to know that Dwayne and Alexandra were just as regular, normal, common people like anybody else. We got struggles, we have issues, we have challenges, we are thoroughly imperfect, but we're striving. And so, you know, when they saw the externals, you know, they'll see well-behaved children, they don't know like, hey, there's still some character development that has to happen. They would see the wife that there by the husband, but my wife is like, hey, I got certain things that I battle with and I'm striving with. And me, forget about it. Because I'm the guy constantly speaking and, and seeking to present God's standards with clarity, you know, individuals interpret that as he must be practicing all these things perfectly. And so we're put on this pedestal and a lot of pressure came with that. And, you know, we had people say silly stuff. I mean, I remember one time we was at Tekoa and we had a couple of missionaries and one of the missionaries, they were new. And we, it was like a regular day outside, you know? So I had my jeans on, I had my sneakers on, my children were there, we wanted to play. So we went outside and I started to do cartwheels, you know, and all this other <laughs> stuff. I like having fun. I like doing cartwheels. I like playing on the grass and stuff like that. And the missionary's like, Dwayne Lemon does cartwheels. <laughs> I can't believe this, you know, and just, and it's just like, really? I mean, really? So present truth people can't do cartwheels? You know, it, it just strange deductions, strange deductions. You know, so they don't understand. We're very, very normal people. And I do understand that when you present the standard, if you present it with clarity, if you present it with pathos, you know, people are really going to say, wow, they must really live up to this 100%. I understand how the human mind works. And so I would say to my wife, and say, listen, you know, people are watching us. Mm -hmm. Not to say, let's become excellent actors. Mm -hmm. That was not the message. But it was to understand we have a responsibility, you know? 
We have a responsibility that as we present the message, let's do our best to ever maintain consistency with that which we preach. And so, you know, it brought on a lot with my wife because people would come to her and expect her to understand everything as I understand it, as if she doesn't have her own personal study life, as if she doesn't have her own challenges, sometimes maybe understanding certain things. So it was kind of like we had this whole thing painted on us, and it, it kept prohibiting to a degree to allow us to be regular, normal people. And, you know, I would say I refused to buy into that. You know, that was me. I was like, look, I got issues like anybody else. I'm not here to open up my information to everybody. But at the same time, I don't have a problem communicating, yeah, I do struggle with that. Yeah, I do struggle with that. You know, if we have private conversation, I'm obviously not going to bring up, break up a lot here on a pulpit at a podium, but if you sit down with me and you talk with me, anybody who sits down and talks with me, they know it's real talk. We're a real normal brother, real normal sister, and we go through the battles of life as we do. But things kept building and building and building in ministry. And a lot of pressure was definitely coming from various angles. And we're not even getting into some of the persecutions, you know, uh, division that shuts you down and doesn't let you come into a country that they already paid for your plane tickets to come into. Um, unions or certain leaders in our conferences or, or pastors who just don't like you or they don't like your messages. And, you know, the, a lot of stuff that came with that, you know, it's like we, we were getting hit from a lot of different angles as two kids growing into this thing. It's kind of like funny. As we're talking, it's like everything happened with us fast. We became, we got, well, we didn't marry fast. I mean, we kind of, you know, we caught for about a fast. year and a half. Well, <laughs> we fast, yeah. So, we married, yeah. I we think we didn't fast. go fast. It was two. That thing was like a year. Yeah, but. It was like a year, year and a half. No. I mean, <laughs> okay, so let's say we got married fast. So, married fast. <laughs> then we had children fast. And, you know, we ended up, you know, responsibility came on me fast, mm -hmm. climbing up the quote-unquote corporate ladder. And then, of course, we go into ministry, and the ministry grows fast. And so everything's fast. So we were always, literally, we were always trying to catch up. Mm -hmm. We were always trying to catch up. Yep. Mm -hmm. To catch up with God in our personal walk. To catch up in what it means to be ideal husband, ideal wife. To catch up with what it means to be ideal father, ideal mother to catch up what it means to be effective gospel workers. And it was just constantly an ongoing battle, and all of it was happening behind scenes, and you just kept seeing that polished figure that would come before you to speak for that hour or speak at a conference or whatever, but you didn't understand, you know, the real battles and struggles that was happening deep down on the inside until a certain time came where a lot of stuff came to a head. But go yeah. ahead. And I do want to say that you know, if I'm giving or we're giving the impression that we're blaming uh, ministry, you know, there are choices that we make. There's choices, you know, I could look back and say, well, I didn't have to do this. I could have done this. You know, I could see that all over. Um, I remember one of my children came to me and they, they came and they said, it seems frustrating because it seems like everyone's watching us and I, I can't make a mistake. And if I make a mistake, I'm judged. Where my friend does it, it's not a big deal, but if because I'm, you know, Lemon is my last name, it's a problem. And I understood. I said, yeah, I go through that too. It's interesting, you know? And I was just like, they watch me too, but guess what? You know how I look at it? 
um, an opportunity to be a blessing. So you could be an example or you could reach more people that maybe your friend can't because your last name is Lemon and God is using you. You know, so look at it that way and a privilege to be a light, you know, because of how God is using your father. And so this is what I shared with that one child and it took him a while, to, but after a while he kind of embraced it, but it was very difficult. And so the one point I wanted to make though before we transition to 2016 is when you're home on a daily basis, you, you have a job, um, you know we're counseled to wake up in, you know, in, the, in the Bible, we're told to wake up early and to spend time with God to commune with our Savior. Um, and if you have to start work at a certain time or you have to be out the house by five, typically, if you can get that hour in before, it's very difficult to do when you're home, right? But it's so essential for the day, right? So imagine trying to do this when you're traveling on a regular basis, different time zones, and you're ministering to people? Can you kind of make the connection, like how difficult it was? Now, what I started to realize was, um, again, I, I got to the point where I told my husband, I said, you know, I, I think we need to, like, this is it's too much. Like, um, it's just little feelings here and there, but over time I became more vocal, like, you know, it, this has to stop because um, I'm not able to function. Like, I, I feel like I was kind of lost in ministry, and this is why, you know, when I hear people talk about serving, 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 and giving and giving and all this, but you have to come aside and rest a while, right? And so I would do things like say, hey, can we do like a three-month family vacation? You know, and my husband would be like, uh, we can't. I was like, well, can we do two months? Like, it's just the six of us, just no one else. You know, um, counseling, I understand. I share my husband with everyone. And as a minister's wife, that is something that I had to learn very quickly. I did not like that at the beginning. I had issues with that. When I would be with my husband and people would talk to him for a long time, that was very difficult for me. Now I'm fine. You know, I'm just like, okay, you know, must be a serious issue here, and I'll sooner pray, but at the beginning it was very hard. So there's a lot of things I had to learn being that, the, the wife of a minister. Um, when I married him, I did not know he was going to be a minister. I just, you know, I loved him for who he was and everything, and, you know, he was excited about the Bible, but it, it's like I did not know I was going to be a minister's wife, so I had to kind of crash course and learn it quick through trial and error, reading, praying, and all these things, but um, uh, I don't want to be scattered here, but the point is that the communion life is something that was really, really needed uh, for me, and so, and trying to kind of fall in line as, you know, co-worker and also be a mother to four children, which is very difficult because of just four different characters, four different personalities. I mean, we got married and two months later I was pregnant. So it's not like I even had a chance to, like he said, everything was just way too fast. And so, um, you know, when I 
go through something traumatic or something like that, I, I just kind of deal with it. You know, I don't complain or whatever, I just kind of deal with it on the outside, but inside there's a lot of battles. And so going through this and all this, um, it affected, uh, over time, it affected my time with God. You know, I would do it certain times, it was just fluctuating, and that's not good. You know, we're talking about abiding with Christ. You know, you ever pluck a, a leaf from a branch and how long it lasts? It has to stay connected to the branch in order to, you know? And so I was just uh, not connected all the time. But yet, like I said, we're ministering. I wasn't trying to put on a facade or something. And, you know, I, I really genuinely wanted, I was okay with it. It was just, I think we were doing it wrong. Um, and we were saying yes, because we felt like if the call was given, we should answer it. <laughs> so if we said no, that was wrong. So we kept saying yes, yes, okay, yes, we'll come here. Yes, we'll come there. Um, Dwayne, that gives us three days here, but I guess that's three days to come and kind of regroup and get back on the road. But again, the Lord, we're doing his work. This is what he wants us to do. This is a privilege, you know, that we could work as a family. And like he said earlier, organizations are paying for our family, for everyone. That's not really something common. So um, God's blessing is upon us. You know, we just got to keep, keep it moving and just do it. And I just need, if, if I have issues, I just need to fall in line with that and just get it together. So if I would fail, um, with certain things, and let's say we were supposed to do homeschooling and I didn't get it done, I'd be like, okay, we, we got like two days in, but we were there for seven days. Next trip, I'll get it together. I'll go back and you know ascertain the cause and just go back, okay, we, I would regroup. And it was just a common thing. People say, oh, we'd love to take your family out boating. Oh, that's so sweet. Kids, would you like that? Yeah. And then we would just go. So every time we'd go, sometimes there were people, you know, kind people that would just take our kids out, you know, take us to the zoo or take them boating or somewhere, just to kind of be, you know, hospitable to us. But over time, I noticed that it was affecting even the plans I had for schooling. Because I was allowed only so many days between coming in, Sabbath, preparation, um, there's a cooking class, you know, gotta shop, you know, I can't bring all the food, I gotta shop there, you know, I can't travel on the plane with so much. so. And it was just constant back to back. So the homeschooling was impacted, okay? So you're talking about the devotional life not as consistent. And the children, yes, they're presenting and they're working with the parents because we're like, okay, this is a family ministry. We're all working together. It's not just your dad. It's me. You can sing. You could Whatever your, your heart desires to do, as long as you're willing to do it, Sincerely for the Lord, you know, to be an example to families. And we, this is what we did. And we were generally just, we fell in line with that. And this is what we did. And so it got to a place where, um, you know, you look back and you're just like, no, this is wrong. We're intemperate. Temperance is sometimes saying, no, I can't come, actually. I need to stay back. And... Um, so I said, Lord, this was given to us. You, you know, we didn't ask for this, 
show us how to manage it because we're not doing it right, you know? You see, mm -hmm. in Adventist Home, page 32, it says, one well-ordered family, one well-disciplined family will do more on behalf of the gospel than all the sermons that could be preached. And I believe this. Sometimes, even the devil can be intermingled in ministerial invites. Keep them so busy giving to everybody else that they neglect giving what's needed in their own home. Satan knows if I can keep their home in a state of disability, it doesn't matter how many sanitariums they start up, it will eventually crumble. It does not matter how many schools they start, it'll crumble. It doesn't matter how wide and broad their ministry goes, it will eventually crumble. Because if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so our misinterpretation of a lot of this stuff was that invitations equaled providence. And so we would say the more that the people are inviting and calling and all these things, it must equal providence. God wants this. My wife says how she struggled, you know, when somebody wanted to talk with me and she had to share a husband. You'd be amazed at how my children struggled. You, you have no idea how many times I heard the people are taking away my daddy. And again, that's my fault because I felt everybody was supposed to understand. It's like, guys, we're, we're a ministry. The people have needs. Forgetting they have the chief needs. They have the chief rights to father. And I don't say this to make anybody feel bad. Please understand it. I'm not doing it for this purpose. I'm just being very honest. The whole purpose of us sharing this testimony is that by God's grace, you can overcome some battles. They overcame by the word of their testimony. That's the whole reason why we're doing this, okay? I got to a place I couldn't even eat a meal with my family without somebody coming to the table. Brother, I got a question. Brother, I need to talk to you. I couldn't even go on a digestion walk with my family just to get a time to say, how are you enjoying the conference? Without somebody saying, just, just want to ask one question real quick. A lot of God's people really live in prophecy because we always say, it'll be quick. It's only a minute. Only a minute, Brother Lemon. <laughs> and I'm like, man, that is such prophetic language because you're definitely not being literal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God's people just live in prophecy. You know, oh, it's be quick, just five minutes. And five minutes turned to 50 minutes, and the list goes on. But, you know, I understand. I'm like, I understand. And my response would be, the people have needs. Don't worry. When the conference is over, we'll get our time together. But as my wife just said, when the conference is over, we get back home, and then next thing you know, we barely can unpack the bag before we're back on the next mission. So while we're giving this image to the masses and preaching the word and doing a lot and all these different things, there was, a, there was a lot of struggles that was happening, and everything 
I didn't even get into how many late nights. Yeah, if you're traveling, you got to go from one conference to the next. You got to think about what's the messages? What's the material? So when are you going to put it together? Sometimes it's when everybody else is asleep. So now you got to be up late. You're teaching everybody laws of health, laws of health, proper rest, proper rest, but you're staying up late, and then you say, but I'm staying up late for the glory of God. <laughs> and this vicious cycle just kept going. And God, in his mercy and grace, in 2016, my wife said something. I'm going to open you up to this. My wife said something to me. She said, Dwayne, we need to slow down. Do you know I was in such a trap? I'm really opening my heart to you, all right? Because my hope and my prayers, you do not make the same mistakes. My wife said, honey, we need to slow down. We really need to slow down. We're doing too much. And da 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 da. My mind was so convinced that we have to just keep going forward. That I literally thought in my mind, maybe what has to happen is maybe I just need to keep doing this thing, get sick, die, and some other guy with a nine to five and a nice regulated life can go ahead and take over where I stood because I'm at a place, and I said this with great sincerity. I said, Father, I don't know how to stop. I got so much in the mode of doing this that I didn't know how to stop. And I believe that the Father, the Son, and the holy angels came together in a spiritual huddle and said, you heard what Lemon just said? If we don't go down there and confound his language, he's going to kill himself. In the name of ministry, watch these next words, like many other ministers have. There's a lot of people that died in our faith that were powerful evangelists and preachers and teachers. And... It's amazing how when you talk with the surviving family members, many of them will tell you how many a times God gave warning after warning after warning after warning after warning. Slow down. You're pushing yourself. You're doing more than I have asked you to do. And that's why I read to you earlier in the day, letter 3B, 1881, when I read that article where the prophet of God says, do the little that you can and trust God with the rest. Do not work as if everything is weighted upon you, that if you don't do it, it won't get done. She says, when you take on such burdens, you will be crushed under them. That's clear language. So 2016 came, I went to Malaysia. When I went to Malaysia, it was a sanitarium. So I was working over there at the sanitarium with some brethren. And as I was there, I said, hey, I haven't gotten my blood work done in a long time. So I actually said, hey, can you take my blood work and check me out? Give me like a once over. Things were very inexpensive in Malaysia. So I said, hey, check my B12, check everything. 
So I had them check everything out. And that was the first time that I was alerted that some of my blood work was not the best. It wasn't like dangerous, but it wasn't the best. And so it was from that that when I came back to the States, I started wondering about what could potentially be going on in my body. I never was concerned about that kind of stuff. I went years without seeing a doctor. But now that I got myself checked out and I saw some things were a little off, I was like, I need to check that. And so I started doing research and finding out why is Billy Rubin a little off or why is this off, why is that off? As I started to do more of that, another couple of months would go by and some really bad things happened. 2016 was my year of stress. I mean, I was stressed like I've never been stressed before. Started having gut problems. I don't have gut problems. I always do think I have a stomach of steel. All of a sudden, I'm having gut problems I could barely eat. I start losing weight. And I'm like, what is happening to me? I'm getting checked out. They're doing scans and all this other stuff. Everything's coming back in the clear, but I know something's wrong. You know, when you allow stress to build in your mind, you can do things and say things that will even shock you. And I recall during that fall of 2016 that I got so frustrated even in ministry with fellow ministers that I began to allow my anger and my rage to come out in such a way that it even shocked myself to say, Dwayne, I thought that thing was out of you. And I exploded on my friends. I exploded on my fellow workers. And as all of this happened, all of a sudden, it was very shortly after that, I lied to you not. And this is 2016. I would start walking down the road to take my walks, and it would start feeling like there was this dark cloud that was just over my head. It was like thoughts of death became very easy for me to entertain. I started going through anxiety. My wife will tell you there were times that I, she'd come in the room and I wouldn't even come downstairs. She'd be like, honey, you gotta come downstairs, you gotta eat, you gotta do different things. I was like, I'm not hungry, I don't even wanna come downstairs. All I would do is sit on the side of my bed and look out the window. And I would just look out the window. And as I'm looking out the window, there were times I would cry. Just start crying. And all I kept seeing was myself dying. It was like I would have at least 500 thoughts a day of death. Just death. And I started saying, what is happening to me? Why am I thinking this way? I don't think this way. It would become very easy for me to start crying. It was like I was going through something I've never gone through in my life. I started calling people. Thank God I'm, I'm, I'm affiliated with you know, the Amen Conference and all sorts. So I got access to all sorts of folks. And I'm calling people and I'm like, listen, you know, why is this happening? You know, like, what is this? And I remember I called Dr. Magna Parks and, you know, she said, Brother Lemon, I think you're going through depression. And I was just like, really? And all along, and it's really messed up because it's like I, I really want to share these things with you to get to a key point. But I understand and I respect the clock and I'm, I'm pretty sure we're like done. But there's just things that we really went through that if I could just articulate it as fast as possible, 
I went through deep anxiety. I went through some stages of depression. Um, thoughts of death was constantly hovering over my mind. Um, it got so bad that one day we were at a Whole Foods and I would see my children coming out of the Whole Foods. As I saw them come into the car, it was like the voice was so clear, you will die before this year is over. And somebody else will be their father. Somebody else will be your husband. And you will be forgotten. And it would haunt me so much that when my children came to the car, like, hey, we got our stuff and everything, they, I literally burst out crying, walked out the car, started walking down a full-blown parking lot filled with people at Whole Foods, crying. And I'm not talking about no... I'm talking about... I mean, like, crying. And I could care less who was looking at me. And I looked in the sky and I said, what is happening to me. It's like I didn't understand what was going on. This is the closest I've ever related to that man called Nebuchadnezzar. I felt like I literally lost my mind. Didn't have joy anymore. Had uncontrollable thoughts. All these things. I talked with Waller about it. I talked with Magna Parks. I talked with Norman McNulty because he's a neurologist. I'm, I mean, I'm talking to all sorts of people like, look, can y'all pray for me? Help me know what's going on. And it was really bad. My children watched all of this. My wife watched all of this. It was like Satan gave a full-blown, all-out attack on the Lemon household. And you remember what she said about those devotions being compromised? What do you do when there's a high-level evil spiritual attack on your family and you're low on spiritual righteousness and gasoline? Now you don't know how to minister to that person who's going through that crisis. And this is, this, I mean, it's just so deep what we've gone through. Did you want to share something on that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Going back to that communion life um, and we and during that time we you know he was saying he was going through a lot of stress we were we were trying to be at a place where we would slow down on the traveling and but you know it you know sometimes people book you a year in advance so you commit to it and you know you don't know a year later that you're like oh oh yeah we have to do this and you know you just kind of stick to your commitment but we were really trying to slow down and it was it was a yearly process you couldn't just stop and slow down like what we were doing it, it would take us a few years to get to a place where we would slow down because the calls would come in literally on a daily basis daily basis we were you know there was always a call and you know we were thankful again but it was just you know how do we manage who do we say yes to and no to it, it was it was hard but um I remember one time, um, just my focus was redeeming and regrouping the family. I would try different ways to regroup the family, like, okay, family vacation. Um, we would go away, and then people would find out we were there, and it was a wrap. 
So I would say, okay, two weeks away, one for the people, one for the family. You know, just trying to make it work because, you know, I understood we had friends in many places and, you know, kind people showed so much love and I just felt, you know, yes. I, I didn't want him to think I was pushing anyone away. But anyway, long story short, you know, we got to that place where, you know, we were kind of regrouping. And I remember one day it was in the living room and I saw things happening with Dwayne, but it was kind of like, you know, he's having a bad day. You know, like he said, he had a stressful year and there were times he would be stressed and we would talk and, you know, we would just discuss things and, you know, we just kind of deal with it. And then, but I, I noticed, especially when he came home from that country he went to, Malaysia, that's when I really started to see something was off with him. Now you have to understand, Dwayne here, what you see on the pulpit is exactly what you see at home, sincere, I mean he has a genuine heart to serve the Lord, I mean he really, he's, it's not fake, I can say this as his wife and you know, this is who he is and this is why, you know, the admiration is there and the respect is there and all that, but the thing was when he, um, so the children always see him as a strong man. You know, you see your dad, like Caleb, it was like, even if Dwayne <laughs> would drive away somewhere when he was small, he would always cry, like, <laughs> you know, this, and I'm like, okay, but you know, but Caleb was really connected to the hip <laughs> with his father. And, you know, if, he, if Dwayne would just go down the road to the post office, he would just get himself together and go. A Bible study, I mean, whatever, this was his strongman right here. The other three were more connected with mom. I mean, we all loved each other, but, you know, you got those who kind of lean more towards mom and lead. Caleb and, and Dwayne were just, that was it. That was like his superhero and everything. I mean proud, you know how some kids, they don't want to stay with their family or walk the street, they're embarrassed, not Caleb, Caleb was just like, this is my dad, you know, this is my father. So when he saw, and we saw all these things happening, and we saw Dwayne getting to a point where, you know, just couldn't understand, I remember there was a family counseling with us, we had a family, we spent the day with them, and it kind of transitioned to a mini counseling session. And he, we were both counseling with the family in our living room. And then, you know, everything was, you know, we were just sharing. And then at one point he went upstairs and I'm like, okay. He went upstairs and I'm talking to the family. And I was like, hold on real quick. Because, you know, he didn't come back down. I come back up, I go upstairs and he is bawling. And I'm like, babe, what's the matter? Like, I, I mean, depression just didn't even... I wasn't prepared for that. I just was like, what's going on? Like, I thought he heard somebody died because he was broken. Like, I had to hold him up. And I'm just like, what's, you know, what happened? And then, um, I mean, there's a lot of things, but I think it was around that time, this is where he was, and then we find out about the heart. It was a lot. I mean, again, just going through that, and trying to lift him up, but things got worse, it got worse. And so remember, I didn't accustom myself to abide consistently, it was fluctuating. So 
I sincerely was not prepared to deal with what happened with him. And it became something where I was trying to protect the kids because you know, they would be in the living room and they're doing their work or whatever, their schoolwork, and I'd say, and then you'd hear um, Dwayne say, Alex, and I'd say, oh, okay, hold on, just you know, finish what you're doing. I'd go upstairs and I'm like, hey, like, what's up? Because I got stuff to do down here, you know? This is what we, this is what, this is what we decided to do. We're, we're home, we're trying to redeem, and you know, in my mind, I'm like, this is what I'm about to do right here. I, I can't be, what's up, you know? And then he's just like, I, I just, and then he would just break down, and I'm like, babe, what's going on? And then I'd be up there for two hours, two hours just trying to console, figure out, and just listening, and he's saying things, and it's not making a lot of sense, and um, I'd be like, hold, hold on real quick, go downstairs, like, is that okay? I was like, yeah, he's fine. He's just, you know, kind of down. And I, I just, I'm trying to deal with both because I, I didn't understand what was going on. And the kids were like, what's going on? And so I'm like, I don't know what's going on with your dad. He's just not having a good day. So we just need to pray. So pray for your father. I'll be right back. I'd go upstairs and they wouldn't see me till later on. Next thing you know, hours later, I'm smelling food because they figured, I guess we just got to cook. And this is how it was on a daily basis. And I remember at one point, out of desperation, that I said, Father, do what you have to do to save this family. You know, I was just at that place a year before this whole thing happened. I said, babe, I'm ready for this. You know, I'm, I know people don't say that. Do what you have to do to save me, because we think he's going to hurt us or kill us. Father, I leave my children in your hands. Father, do what you have to do to save this family. You think you're going to have cancer, right? And we don't trust him. That's the best thing we could say is, Father, do what you have to do to save me. We have nothing to worry about. And so we made that declaration, and I was consistent. I remember we went away, and we were talking about it. And boy, ever since, and I know, it's like, see, that's why we don't say it. But things had to come out that was there. If the crisis didn't come, we wouldn't know that it existed. So I didn't know I was in the place where I was. I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do. But I didn't realize when dealing with this crisis, I had nothing to stand on. I was helpless. I saw my husband, and I didn't know what to do. You know, I don't know if you know how that feels when you see someone you love and you're like, I can't help you. That's horrible. And so, you know, he needed me and I wasn't there for him as I should have been. I mean, there were areas I was there, but the kind of assistance he needed, I wasn't, I wasn't there. Okay? So, and then the kids need an explanation, like what's going on? Okay, so, okay, I'm going, I know we have probably five minutes, but I'm just saying, if you look at the picture, if, if I wasn't getting what I needed, and he's ripping and running, and, he's, and we're just doing the work, how are we ministering to our kids all that time? So they were kind of like, what's going on with dad? You know, what's, what's happening? So then, Generally, over time, you know, 
there's, there's a lot of wonderful things. God is so merciful. You know, you were saying that. He's so gracious. He's so merciful, even with his erring children. And so he showed himself in such a mighty way that I wish I had time to talk about it. But, you know, I understand. But even the process of going to the doctors and prepping him for surgery, um, I got to just tell you this one thing. And again, I internalize everything. Remember I tell you I internalize? So on the outside, you're like seeing my mother's like, you're so strong dealing with this. And I'm just like, you know, because she wanted to come and be there for us when he went through this. And she didn't know I was like broken inside. But I can't tell my mother because she doesn't understand the way, you know, because there's something missing. Now, mind you, we're, we're doing ministry for all these years, but something is empty here. You understand? So when you look at it, all, this, all the things we were doing, yes, it was a blessing. And, you know, God can use you even if you're not doing the right things. As Brother Waller was, you know, the Lord used Brother Waller to talk about Friday night. He'll use us in spite of, but the thing is that I actually have a desire to be a Christian. Like, I want to love God. I want to have his character. But I found out all these years, I was like, I'm still not like you. And I'm not ready for this crisis in my home. And the devil is attacking, and I don't know what to do. Is that okay? Like, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say that, but this is just what I went through. Okay? And so... Um, I didn't have a lot of people reaching out to me during that time. And I still don't know why, but it's okay because I don't know if they would have been much help to me anyway, where I was. Like, I understand God can use people, but I needed, I needed him yeah. to do something. So I had to, you know, and so, yeah. Can I interject? Sure. I have an idea. What we're going to do is pause right here, but I'm going to leave you with this cliffhanger. God gave a tremendous breakthrough for all of us. And it has paved the way for something very great, not only to happen in our own hearts and in our own home, but it also helped in our ministry. Tomorrow, we will talk about that side of the story because there's just no way we can keep going. But at the same time, we're giving you a lot of that background. I understand the details. Oh, did you have to give those details? In our hearts, we felt we had to because we really wanted you to understand how things started and what got us to that place at 2016. We just really felt those details were necessary. And now we're at this crisis. It's evident that God has gotten us through it because we're here. And I will tell you, it's a beautiful thing to have a sound mind. I have never appreciated having a sound mind. And you don't appreciate it until sometimes you lose it. To have the focus that I have now, to have the vision, to have, 
to be able to see what I can see right now. I mean, I, t- I tell everybody, when man did heart surgery, God did heart surgery. And I want to talk about that tomorrow. And so tomorrow, we're going to talk about the breakthrough. How did God give the breakthrough through all of these very, very serious things that took place? So I want to let you know, you know, because normally you want to close with the great testimony and everything else. But again, please, we'd be doing what Paul did and being up till midnight. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray and we're going to pause right here because the time has been well spent. And then by God's grace, tomorrow in our closing message, my wife and I will come back up because really and truly, to me, this is truly the testimony of what happens when you abide in Christ. It's like this this is really it. This, This is about as real as we can get with you without just having a nice conceptualized, nicely packaged sermon. This this is our story. This is literally our story of how abiding in Christ has gotten us out of this mess. And so it's just very appropriate to do so. So what we're going to do is we're going to thank God uh, for what has been shared. I would just simply say to all of you, we already know that there's a lot of us in this room that can relate to a lot of different aspects of the testimony. That's why God impressed us to give it. We also want to give it to you as a warning. Please do not walk in the footsteps that we walked in. Don't repeat these mistakes. Some of you are ministers in this room. Some of you are husband and wife ministries and all these different things. This is why we're sharing this with you. It's so that you don't have to make some of these vicious mistakes. And that by God's grace, you can do better than even what we've had. And so we trust that by God's grace, some good things will come out of this and have already come out of it. And so let's pray to that end. Lord, thank you for allowing us to hear this. Help us to truly see where we're going wrong, the paths that we are on right now, the danger zones that you're clearly showing us. Folks, you got to think about this. A lot of people are trying to change the word of God to accommodate their circumstance and situation, and it's not going to happen. The grass is going to wither, the flowers are going to fade, but the word will never, ever pass away. God's word is not going to change. It is for us to comply with his words and not to try to manipulate his words to accommodate our lifestyle. And so this thing is very serious. And I hope we got it this evening. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you, Lord, for allowing Alexandra and I to be very open and candid with our brothers and sisters. Lord, we're doing this for your glory. We know that there are many who are walking in the very same path that we have walked. And while things can look one way on the outside, we're grateful that you're allowing us to tell the whole story. And things can be very different on the inside. But Father, we're here. And so you have given us the breakthrough. You have brought us out of this darkness. And though the journey's not finished, we are truly on a much more firm, solid foundation than we have ever been in times past. And for this, we praise you and we thank you. And Lord, I just pray that for our own household as the Lemon family, that you will help us to stick to the covenant that we have made with you, realizing the things we have realized through this crisis. And Father, I pray for every single person under the sound of our voice, 
that you will be with these families and have them do some deep heart searching and help them to consider the walk that they have with you and that they will go on a path that will be pleasing to thy sight. Keep us now as we close out our evening. Bring us back at the appointed time tomorrow where we will give the final charge of really what can happen when we abide in Christ, even in the midst of the deepest crisis. We ask these things, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.